It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. It's our first playback for Series 3, featuring highlights from earlier episodes. We love showcasing sound bites that give new listeners a hint about our earlier podcasts, because we can see they're always exploring our past pods, going all the way back to the first series, and that's telling us these conversations don't get old, and also gives a glimpse into the backstory of our guests. If you haven't already, go back and listen to these ones. There's real gold out there for you to discover. From episode 51, we go back to the beginning where our pod started in the Sydney Uni Flames. Being the youngest team on the block, we wanted to talk to development players Cherie Kalea and Morgan Yeager before the season started to get a feel of the culture and vibe of this young, never-back-down squad that want to prove themselves to all the critics in a seriously stacked league. It's no surprise, then, to see that's actually how it plays out. I want to jump in and ask you, how you guys are feeling? You're effectively walking into what is pretty much a brand-new team, new coach and new culture. What can you tell us about how the team's getting together and, more important, the culture that the team is trying to build to be able to, you know, walk into the WNBL and put up a, a performance that Sydney will be able to get behind you? I think, I mean, I know we can tell just at trainings, like everyone gets along, everyone uh, works together well on the court and then gets along off the court. You can tell that obviously this first year for Shane was probably going to be tough no matter what. It seems to look like he definitely went for good people, people who work hard, trying to develop that culture. And then as he goes like next year and the year after then, he'll start trying to put those really key pieces together. The culture is really good. It's really fun. Like I'm really enjoying trainings. Um, They're competitive, but they're not like a grind. Like, oh, I have to go to training every day. Like I genuinely like going to training and, and then going to weights is always really fun. Like we get work done, but we're also like laughing and enjoying each other's company. So do you feel like, um, I mean, your team is typically, you know, on average, the age range is a bit younger. Do you feel like that has something of an advantage when you're building a culture for a new team? <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's super fun. I think we all have pretty similar interests and we just kind of bounce off each other pretty well. Out of the squad, as it stands at the moment, who do you find is for you know because every team there are people that fall into those roles of natural leaders from your perspective who are you seeing is starting to fall into those roles and how do you see that people stepping into those roles is going to help the team in terms of you know the upcoming season 
and everything that's going to have to happen around what's going to be, a, it'll be tough for Sydney, not because the team's not good, but it's effectively such a new team and there are so many other teams out there that have got so much continuity in terms of their rosters. Well, what I've found, definitely Loz and Keely have, yeah, they're great communicators, but also just when we have little huddles after like scrimmages, we're all willing to listen to each other and everyone is willing to um, put in and it's good just to hear like just everyone's point of view, but like usually we're on the same page, so we're always usually agreeing. So just to have that, you know, similar IQ is pretty cool as well. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like Loz and Keely are probably our two uh, main leaders, but I think there's like all sorts of experienced players, veterans in the WNBL like Loz and Keely, but then there's like younger players like Shy and like myself and that who are like diff- just different perspectives, like Shuri said. And I think we're all kind of bought into that. There's not just going to be like one or two people that win games for us. It's going to take all of us as a collective to get wins. So I think we're all helping each other, all listening to each other, um, kind of no matter who we are. What do you see as some of your perhaps biggest barriers to overcome as a team heading into the next season? I think we kind of struggle with our height. But in saying (laughs) that, (laughs) we've had a few preseason games already against young boys teams and they're super tall. But as soon as like we just commit and like be physical, make that box out, we, we can do anything really. Yeah. I mean, there'll be so many critics this year that'll be like, oh, they're not tall enough. They're not going to be able to beat such and such team. But I think we're professional basketball players. I think we're going to be able to figure out an alternative. We're going to be young, athletic. We're probably going to be the fittest team in the league. We're going to be able to pressure people defensively. And like, we're going to have multiple people coming off lots of ball screens. We're going to probably wear teams out. And by that fourth quarter, like we're going to be in the greatest shape. So I think, yeah, that might be an issue for us in some moments throughout the season, but I think we're going to be, we're going to have other advantages. In episode 52, we were joined by the legendary Michelle Timms to talk about the upcoming FIBA Women's World Cup qualifiers and the Opals. Timsey never holds back in her passionate viewpoint of the iconic Opals, and after the Asia Cup, with an eye on the Worlds in September, the word that features prominently is rebuild. Be sure to go back and listen to this episode in full for Timsey's goosebumps explanation of the Opal's legacy. It's going to be super interesting to see how they go. There's been a lot of movement, a lot of changes around the world in their teams. You know, you've got France who won the bronze at the Olympics, who have got a new coach, and um, you've got Serbia who I absolutely love Serbia. I love the way they play the game. They're crazy. They're, they're so full on. And, you know, they were disappointed about what happened at the probably not meddling at the, at the Olympics. You know, they've lost Vasic and Brooks, who are, you know, they're big, two massive names. I mean, Vasic was the MVP at the most recent Euro Cup qualifiers and just a huge part of that team. So they're going into this tournament with a, a new look as of the Opals, as we know, with Liz Cambridge not being available for this tournament. And it's, uh, you know, we've got an Australian team that really is is all about, you know, I'm just saying we shouldn't expect too much of this team, even at this tournament, possibly not the World Cup yet, as we, we go through a major rebuild. And I think that's the way we need to look at the Opals in the lead up to Paris as a huge rebuild. 
a wonderful opportunity for the likes of Shyla Heal and some other young players, Nicholson, who who get to, well, she's not so young, but get their first chance of uh, hopefully being on the world stage at a major international tournament. I think Shyla Heal's the one that was unlucky who missed the Olympics. Hopefully that's, you know, that's not going to cost us a little bit as she most likely steps onto the stage at the World Cup for a first ever major tournament. Hopefully she'll have this tournament in Serbia in the qualifications to, to get some experience under her belt. But it's an exciting time for the Opals because we are going to see a rebirth, I think, of the Opals and a huge rebuild and some youth get injected into that team as we see a lot of old faces either play one more World Cup, possibly or not. So it's not going to be an easy road for the Opals over the next, you know, I say four to six years as we rebuild because it's going to take a little bit of time to rebuild without Big Liz in the program, you know, and we have to find out who we are again. Yeah, but I think one of the good things about the rebuild of the Opals based off the 24 that were released earlier this week is that there's a really good mix of young upcoming talent and that core of veterans, yeah. so you can start to build effectively, you know, a pipeline of talent that's going to be able to play through, not only through the World Cup and into Paris, but going forward from there Absolutely. as well. 100% yeah. agree, you know, and I think that, that um, I'll be really keen to see how many of the old group, how much of a rebuild it's going to be, how many of the oldies we keep um, to help guide the, the young kids along and and mentor them, if you like, so they're ready to hand over the reins to them come Paris and so on and so on, you know. Because, like, if you look at the likes of General Hay and, you know, will she go to Paris? You know, it's not so far away, but will she go to the World Cup? You would expect so, but will she go the next the next step, the next couple of years? So it's going to be really interesting to, to follow the journey of the Opals over the next four years, at least, as we see that transition from the old to the young take place. But it's really exciting. Like if you watch the uh, the Asia Cup with the likes of Jade Melbourne and Christy Wallace and, the, yeah. the, you know, just the brand they played, the style they played, I think everyone everyone who watched it fell in love and thought this is who we need to be. This is what mm. we need to get back to, this style of, you know, never say die attitude, die on the loose ball, hustle in D, put enormous pressure on the ball, you know. That's where we need to go back to and I think we got away from that a little bit. Yeah, I'm really glad that you gave such a great description of the prospective planning that you have to consider when you have a national team and you've got the, you know, routine scheduled Olympics and World Cups and qualifiers and things because now you talk about it in hindsight, like our most recent Olympics, it was not the outcome that we were expecting or hoping for with the talented team that we have. And a lot of people at the time were saying, oh, we should have brought in some younger people, but In my mind, and I think Paul and I have talked about it too, it probably was that little bit too soon to bring some of the youngsters in on that world stage so quickly, considering the limited preparation time that the Opals of the Tokyo team had and the coaching staff had. So now I'm really glad the way that you've described that planning for the future um, makes a lot more sense. Hopefully it will make a lot more sense and be a lot more reassuring for some of our listeners and other Opals fans too. But yeah, that Asia Cup was very exciting. If it was a the perfect glimpse of what talent we have to come and if we can integrate some of the current squad members with the upcoming squad members, we look like we'd be in good shape. Yeah, look, I, I think you make some really good points there, you know. I think one in regards to um, the amount of time the team has together, I think we need to have a good look at that and we need to change that. 
you know, this is just my personal opinion and and it is tricky with players playing overseas and that. Look, I would love to see us, and I'm so old school, it's not funny. Look, hand on heart, I'm going to be harping on that old school days because I know that formula worked. And you know what? We played professionally overseas and made that mix work because we were dedicated to the program, you know. And I just feel like there probably needs to be, you know, more camps in Australia, go back to the old school style of having... Like we used to have camps during the WNBL season and it was just something that you lived with. You just said your coaches had to be flexible and you knew that you'd go into camp for you might finish a game on Sunday, fly in Sunday night to Canberra and have a camp Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and then go back to your team Thursday or Wednesday night, go back to your team and then play on you go. So I'd like to see a few more camps on shore and that might help our preparation a little bit. It's always tough to leave your preparation up to your assistant coaches too. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Sandy's involvement with the Opals in regards to how much time she can put into the Opals um, and where that can be help, whether it's onshore now that she's not with Phoenix and maybe she can come out here. And, you know, there's been a lot of chatter since uh, Sandy's not at Phoenix anymore. There's been a lot of chatter about her coming back and hopefully coaching in the WNBL and being able to spend more time here. But that's a huge decision for Sandy and BA to have to make what direction they head, you know, Sandy's got a young family, she's got a house in Phoenix and her husband's over there. So there's a lot of unknown as to to what would happen, but in the perfect world, it'd be great to have Sandy back here coaching in the WNBL and, like I say, being able to um, really put her imprint on that Opal squad, which she probably didn't get enough time for, like you mentioned, in the lead-up to Tokyo. In episode 53, it was husband and wife team New South Wales coaches, Tom and Renee Gallup, and their life in basketball. Both incredibly accomplished players, we get an all-access pass to their coaching, the 2020 Under-20s Nationals, when they faced off as opponents, coaching the blue and white New South Wales teams respectively. This was such a rare and candid insight into their personal dynamic, and we were really grateful for that. Yeah, what was that like for you both? I suppose the dynamics between living in the same household Coaching for the same state, but coaching two different teams. Yeah, it was an interesting week. I shared a room with her assistant, Will, and then um, Renee and Kate Seabom, Renee's other assistant, shared a room. Originally, Brett had Tom and I in a room together, and then I rang Brett and I said, oh, could you just not put me with Tom for the week? And he, I don't know, I actually think he thought I was kidding and he was like, you know, it'll be like a second honeymoon. Like, And I was like, no, it's probably going to end up more like a divorce because if we have to play each other, it's going to get so competitive and Tom's going to do my head in. So I had to ring Will, my assistant, and be like, look, would you mind rooming with my husband? I just can't do it. Like it would just get too intense. So. And then lo and behold, we played each other. And I don't, I don't understand how I would have been the one who caused the rift there because um, she didn't say a word to me for about 36 hours or whatever it was. And then we rocked up and, yeah, didn't even look me in the eye when we won. So, you know. It was, it was a close game. It was a close game. By 14. Well, it was close with five minutes to go, so it was on. But I think that I think we managed to make all the players potentially feel more awkward than we felt because yeah. the, the shoot around before the game was just so awkward because we were both so competitive and we were locked in. And like uh, I was so incredibly proud of the, the group that I had. Um, they just played so hard all week. I just felt like 
anything could happen because I knew they were going to give it their best shot. So, yeah, we were in for the kill and then everyone at shoot around was kind of staring at Tom and I and we weren't talking to each other and then the girls didn't know what to do. And anyway, we when the day was over, yeah, we, we got back to it. So it was all right. Like, Mum and dad are fighting. We don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> now, to be fair, Renee, you did say at the start of this episode that you are super competitive. Yes. So there you go. So, I mean, her response, you know, I'm not justifying her response, Tom, but you know, obviously, Renee very well. I guess her not meeting your gaze is in the context of Renee being super competitive. <laughs> well, I look, I, there was no surprises on my end. I knew what was happening and I would have been happy to speak to her in the lead up to the game, but I also knew the reality of what she was going to be like. So I just left it. But yeah, we all had a job to do on both sides. The, the professional thing would have been to to not talk to her, to be honest, to, to respect the fact that she didn't want to talk to me. Yeah, but it's all too tempting, though, just to uh, egg Renee on a little bit when she's getting super competitive and super tense, just to <laughs> poke the bear a little bit, I suppose, as well. Uh, not exploiting your weaknesses or anything, friend. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was good fun. In all seriousness, it was like, it was actually really special, you know, like in a number of ways that it was a rare thing that the New South Wales finished first and fourth, a real testament to those 20 girls and those two age groups as a whole. It really just spoke to how deep they are and how talented they were, but also just to sort of look down the other end and, you know, both coaches wearing the same uniform. Uh, you know, husband and wife. I actually thought it was a brilliant moment and I was really proud of that at that time just for so many reasons. It was really cool. Oh, definitely. Like it was when you put all your achievements from that week on paper between the two of you, also coming away with a gold medal, beating Victoria twice, and that's not to diss our, any of our Victorian listeners. It's just that Victoria always sets such a high standard at any national tournament that if you beat a Victorian, you know, that's a double win almost. So, yeah, no, definitely you, both of you should be very proud from that week because I think you ticked off a lot of milestones and created some iconic moments in my eyes and I'm sure a lot of our listeners' eyes as well. So, yeah, no, definitely lots to be proud of. In episode 54, we were joined by Kayla George in a big podcast. An amazing role model for so many young aspiring players. She's also one of the most accessible, sharing how important that is for the sport and what it means to her. We cover so much in this episode, it was hard to select one highlight. But we felt the progression for women's hoops was important. Make sure you go back and listen to this one. We discuss racial intolerance that's impacted sports in our communities, an important subject that Kayla was so generous in sharing her feelings about in her walk the talk approach. That one really surprises me because, you know, over the years watching you play, personally, I can't see how you could ever feel that you were an imposter on the court. I mean... Yeah, well, when I was I, younger, I just, like my first Opals camp, my very first Opals camp, I was still on scholarship at the AIS. Um, it was right before the Beijing Olympics and the first one of the first drills that I had to do was do one-on-one against Susie Bakovic, like... I was like, is this how I'm starting my Opal's like training career? Like, this is crazy. I think I did like a half court runner. Like I was so petrified of Susie, which is kind of funny because then I, you know, later a few years down the track and her teammate and we win three championships together, you know, from having her on my school books, like the Athens Olympic team were on my school books and then to playing with her, 
with Townsville Fire was just a pretty cool full circle moment for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I love those stories. I'm just really glad that you shared that story with us. That's yeah, I mean, Sandy was on that cover too. You're like I've got, I've had lots of connections with Sandy throughout my career and obviously still do. Who else is on that cover? I mean, Lauren, I got to play a couple of Opals games with Lauren. Penny, I'm pretty sure Penny was in that one too. You know, I got to play the Rio Olympics with Penny. So lots of full circle moments. I actually got to play with my idols, like Penny and Lauren are my idols and I got to play on the Opals with my idols, which is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. So I really hope that, you know, there's some up-and-comers that are coming through that are like, wow, Kayla's my idol and maybe I'll play with them before my time's done with the Opals crew, which would be really cool. But, I mean, I'm not holding my breath hoping that that happens, but would be cool if it did because, you know, it was what happened for me. That's really amazing hearing those stories, you know, especially because there'll be kids out there who will look up to you and actually be looking up even to some of those young up-and-coming players that you mentioned and they're going to be going, wow, there's an opportunity for me to actually get there with them. Yeah, it's really exciting for them, for sure. And to, for us as female athletes, I feel like we're super accessible. So, like, it's not it's not that hard to reach out and talk to us, especially with social media these days. So it's like a lot more in these young kids' minds. It's like really for them, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. They're doing that. Oh, she's reached back to me. Like, wow, like she can actually talk to me. She's real. Like, you know, so, I mean, when you're younger, like, I remember when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, I thought that the ABA in my local competition was like the best thing ever. Like, oh, my God, I want to play for the Eastern Mavericks senior women's team so bad. I wasn't even really thinking beyond an Opals and things like that yet. But for these young kids to have access to social media and see all the tournaments that we're at and and things like that and the WNBA and um, to actually see what's the possible potential where they could go is is exciting but also you know it can be a lot and a little overwhelming too if I was you know back in the day and I had all this social media like I'm kind of glad that I grew up in the era where it was like I think Facebook came in when I was at AIS and then it was MySpace then Facebook and then Instagram a bit later but I didn't have to worry about all the the social stuff and the likes and the whatever and the shares and how many people follow you and everything when I was in my teens because I had enough on my plate anyway I couldn't even imagine what it's like for the kids now. You know, there's also, and, and we'll talk about this later on, but there's there's also a downside to social media as well. Absolutely. Which, you know, and I don't think people actually realise exactly how bad it can be for athletes. Hmm. Yes. Um, but, yeah, look, we'll get to that one because it's a topic that we've gone back and forth on quite a mm-hmm. number of times. But before we get there, it would be great to get your opinion on how you think women's hoops in Australia is progressing and you know, how, what you think we can do to try and help boost its image? This is a question I get asked a lot. And I think there is some really great aspects of how far we've come, but I feel like there's still such a long way to go. And I feel like the media hype about it's a bit half bluff. Like it's, it's like, oh yeah, we've like come so far, but like, have we? We're a 40 year league in the WNBL and netball and AFLW have completely overtaken us. Um, so I just think that there's such a long way to go in media presence, in how they market us as teams, as athletes, as the league. And I know it comes down to finances and things like that, but I just think that, you know, we've got a long way to go. And I'm hoping that by the time, you know, my kids come through, if that's what they're going to do, and if they want to watch the WNBL or even potentially play in the WNBL, I hope that we're miles ahead of where we are now, because there's a lot of, a lot of groundwork being done behind the scenes with like the CBA stuff and, you know, minimal wage with some of these DPs and you know, salary, some people are still working to, you know, try and make ends meet, which isn't ideal if you're trying to be an elite athlete. So there's still a lot of issues, a long way to go. 
Um, not all clubs are as professional as others. Um, there's got to be like a standard set and people meet that standard, not like some down here, some up here. It's got to be like, you know, a, a minimum standard professionalism and what we expect. And look, I feel like there is a lot of, yeah, we're just doing so great. Like, oh, the progression. But I just, I struggle with that a little bit because like, I just think that it's a bit half fluff. And in terms of what you can do, well, I mean, the NBL have their scores across the morning show breakfast and we can't even get, you know, a little newspaper ad in the Herald Sun. It's a bit of a stretch at times, you know, unless it's talking about something negative or, you know, can't even just be our results or anything. And that's a bit of a stretch. But up in like the regional towns, like your Townsville and Bendigo, of course, it's going to happen. But in the biggest city, like a like here in Melbourne um, and in Sydney, it's a bit of a struggle at times to get the media attention we deserve don't get me wrong there has been some some good stuff but I mean nowhere near what the men get and I feel like there's still a long way to go um and so that's just how I feel about that yeah I'm sure lots of people would share your sentiments to be honest Kayla yeah I think so too I think so too it's very huff bluff and oh no we've come a long way and yeah maybe I want to throw something out at you do you think that there's kind of like this belief that if we keep putting out good news about just say all good stuff and ignore or not acknowledge that there are issues that people think oh, it'll it'll improve things. Because from my point of view, yeah, you tell people positive stuff, but also you can't address something that's broken unless you're willing to admit openly it's broken. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of cases slapping a band-aid on something and just hoping for the best is is not going to work consistently you can only kind of take that so far so I think yeah some of the nitty-gritty stuff needs to be spoken about but when by who who's going to bring it up who's you know what I mean like it's it's just an interesting kind of discussion like and like I said the band-aid thing is it's yeah it doesn't always work it doesn't it doesn't work long term you know like you can't just slap a band-aid on and you know just hope that one day it'll just dissolve and there won't be an issue because there's always going to be an issue under there. So I do think that that needs to be spoken about, um, but it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a bit of a tough topic. Yeah, it is. But, you know, the fact that we can have conversations like this, I think it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. We've got to make, I think it's important that everybody feels comfortable that if you're highlighting that there's an issue, so long as you're highlighting it from a point of view of, Let's look at it. Let's try and figure out how to fix it. That's a good conversation to have. Oh, I'm just all pointing for constructive out, combos, yeah. Yeah, but there's a tendency for people to just sort of go, oh, this is rubbish, but not be willing to put forward a solution, and that's where you run into problems. Yeah, I mean, I agree, yeah. I think there needs to be constructive conversations to allow growth in this area. Yeah, I agree. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.